Hello and welcome to the Commander's Quarters. I'm your host, Mitch. Glad to have you here. Here at the Commander's Quarters, we're all about Commander on a budget. Today, we have an episode of Commander's Two Cents. On episodes like these, I give you my own personal take on topics about the format in general and current news. This show and episodes like this one are possible thanks to viewers like you. If you're looking for an easy way to help support this show, make sure that you like, share, and subscribe. Also, hit that bell notification icon so you don't miss any new episodes. And while you're at it, subscribe and review our podcast as well. You can also go check out our playmats and other merchandise at thecommandersquarters.com. Another easy way to support this show is with our TCG Player affiliate links. So whether you're buying a deck or individual cards, you can use this general link right here or one in the description. And the final way that you can support this show is by supporting us directly by becoming a patron. There are many benefits to being a patron, and I truly couldn't do this without all their support. Hey everyone, welcome to the Commander's Quarter Studio. I'm your host, Mitch. So today's topic is going to be underrated and undervalued commanders, or undervalued and underrated commanders. I can't remember exactly how I put it in the description, but yeah, basically commanders that just don't see enough play or just are underappreciated by players and, you know, really should be given a little bit more of a chance. Now, keep in mind that this is all my opinion, so take everything with a grain of salt. You might see one of these commanders and think, hey, that commander is actually pretty garbage. I don't think that one's good at all. And it's okay to have different opinions, you know, just it's just an opinion. So let's go with that. Anyways, I'm going to go through the commander and potential cards that work really well with that commander and kind of trying to show off why that commander can be really useful and can be a lot of fun. So let's jump into it with our first one with Hirobi Death's Whale. So Hirobi is a 4-4 spirit with flying that costs 2 black black and it says whenever a creature becomes the target of a spell or ability, destroy that creature. So that's a very unique effect and actually one that I'm a pretty big fan of. There's been other decks in the past where have, I've used certain cards that have been able to do a similar-ish thing, kind of like a, um, a Will Breaker, basically. So Will Breaker says, you know, whenever something becomes a target of a spell or ability, you gain control of it. Well, for creatures only, but regardless. So yeah, basically, now Hirobi says, instead of that, let's just make everything just be destroyed. Now, Hirobi itself can be destroyed because of this, so if anyone's got anything that can target it, or any of your other creatures, yes, that works against you too, but you're going to be working in ways in this deck to make sure that you're taking the most advantage out of it, basically turning certain really cheap spells into like one-sided board wipes, which can be absolutely incredible. The first card that I want to go through this one is Touch of Darkness, and basically what it is is it's just, you know, choose any number of target creatures, they become black until end of turn. So, obviously, with Hirobi on the field, you cast this and you're like, hey, okay, uh, my creatures are fine. I don't need to change their color. That's completely fine. And I'm going to target every single one of your creatures and now they're destroyed. So yeah, I mean, essentially, Hirobi for, you know, for Hirobi being in play and for that one mana, you're having a one-sided board wipe, which is just absolutely incredible. Now, this is a one-time effect, but there are plenty of repeatable effects that can help you out too, like Retribution of the Ancients, which is an enchantment that costs a black and it has pay a black, remove X plus most one counters from one creatures you control, target creature gets minus X minus X until end of turn. Now, you might be thinking, okay, so now I've got to build some plus most one counter synergies in my deck. No, you don't. You don't need to actually remove any counters. You can just activate this for a black, remove zero counters, and then target a creature. And then it will blow that creature up. So you're basically just, with this on play, you're just paying a black to destroy any creature, which is pretty absurd. And then Tetsamok Primal Death is probably my favorite way to do this. Tetsamok is a 6-6 Elder Dinosaur with Death Touch that costs 4 black black. But the important part is this. Pay a black, reveal Tetsamok Primal Deck from your hand, put a prey counter on target creature, activate this ability only during your turn. So basically... You're saying, okay, uh, let me just get Tetsmok in my hand. Okay, it's in my hand. And now I just have to pay a black to destroy any creature that I want at any time. 
you never need to actually cast Tetsamok to get its effect, which would blow up all creatures with prey counters on them. It's actually more effective just being in your hand because just by targeting them and putting that prey counter on them, it destroys them. So basically this is like a repeatable spell that you, it's really hard for your opponents, unless they can make you discard it, actually get rid of it. So yeah, that's a fun one. Again, Hirobi Death Whale. I think it, it's pretty underappreciated, so check it out. Next up, let's go to Mono Blue with Lawan Cephalid Empress. She's a 2-3 Cephalid that costs 3 and a blue. When she, enters the when she enters the battlefield, return all blue creatures your opponents control to their owner's hands, and your opponents can't play blue creature spells. So basically, this is a one-sided bounce effect, but just for blue creatures, and it prevents your opponents from playing blue creatures again. Now, if you're playing against other players that are all playing Mono Blue decks, great. But if you're not, what do you do? I can see why this one kind of hasn't really seen much traction because you do need some cards to actually make it work very well. But it, once you have those cards, it can be fantastic. Probably the best of these is going to be Shifting Sky. It's an enchantment for two and a blue. And it says, when it comes into play, choose a color. All non-land permanents are the chosen color. So basically, everyone's creatures are going to be that. They're going to be blue. So, you know, you play your, your Lawan, all your opponent's creatures just bounce. Yeah, so that's that's pretty good. Yeah, you choose blue. Uh, other ways to do this are like uh, a Glamour Die. Glamour Die is an instant. It says change the text of target spell or permanent by replacing all instances of one color with another, and it's got retrace so you can get it back. Basically, you can just keep changing that color that you need to make it so that you're preventing your opponents from casting certain creatures. If you're bouncing back, let's say green creatures, then you can change that to green. You can also retrace it again if you need to change it for something else. You're just kind of playing with that color depending on the situation it depends on you know who's you know in the lead if you want to if you want to you know flicker your lawan and then bounce it back and then choose a different color you can do that uh, and then you can also play with it in certain ways too if you do have uh ways to you know let's say slow down a certain player you can use something like chill chill is an achievement that costs one to blue and says red spells cost two more to play so basically you're just saying okay well everything's gonna be blue now or everything's gonna be red now and your spells cost more to play so there's ways to really play around with it and to kind of really work with that kind of color changing. There are a, actually a ton of cards out there that change color on certain cards. So you can make use out of a lot of those cards that others might not, might not, not seem to have much of a use for in a lot of decks. So, so yeah, this is just a, a pretty fun way to, to play with those cards. So uh, make sure you check her out. Next up, we've got Tiana Ships Caretaker, which is a somewhat recent one. I guess Dominaria wasn't too recent ago, but still. It's a 3-3 Angel Artificer that costs 3 red-white. It has Flying and First Strike, and whenever an aura or equipment you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you may return that card to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. So basically, this one is a Boros Commander, and many people just write those off right away, unless it's, unless it's Feather. But, but basically, this one also provides you, kind of like Feather, a unique form of card advantage. So it's not just straight-up card advantage, like draw a card. But it does get you your cards back when they're destroyed or when they leave the battlefield for other reasons or whatnot. So basically, you can take advantage of this. And actually, I think the most fun way to build this might actually be kind of like a control deck using auras, using things like even pacifism. Pacifism uh, and pacifism type effects are plenty of cards like this. Is an aura that costs one and a white. It says enchant creature. Enchanted creature can attack or block. So basically, you're saying, okay, I'm going to put this on one of your creatures. Let's say a board white happens. Usually you just lose that, but basically you're just like, okay, well, Tiana says I get that back at the beginning of my next end step, so I can just keep getting it back, putting in other creatures, and controlling the board. Uh, you're obviously going to play cards like Hyena Umbra, which uh, is going to give Tiana plus one plus one in first strike, but the more important part is Totem Armor. So basically it protects Tiana so that when she dies, she doesn't die. Instead, your Totem Armor does. 
it, it's a really cool mechanic, basically. But, but you keep getting that back over and over again, and you can make it so that Tiana is very hard to take care of. And of course, a fun direction to take this deck too are things like curses. So Curse of Bloodletting is an aura curse. It costs three red, red. It says enchant player. If a source would deal damage to enchanted player, it deals double that damage to that player instead. So basically, you're just enchanting this to a player. You can keep enchanting a ton of things to a player. That player is going to die at some point because you're just making them be a huge target. And when they do, most of the time, the curse decks, you just lose all those curses. And then you'd have to keep playing more if you can get other ones from your deck. But this one, Tiana's just like, no, you just get all those back and then have fun putting those on the next unlucky player. So there's a couple different directions that you can take Tiana. And again, it's a Boros Commander that provides card advantage, which is very rare. So please look into Tiana. A lot of fun. Next up, uh, we got Garner the Blood Flame, another commander from Dominaria. A 3-3 human warrior with flash that costs 3 red or 3 black red. Uh, when Garner the Blood Flame enters the battlefield, return to your hand all creature cards in your graveyard that were put there from anywhere this turn. Other creatures you control have haste. So that night, that's a nice little kind of addition at the end there. Other creatures you control have haste. But I think the way that to build around this one is actually kind of like a, a board wipe protection commander on top of kind of like a card advantage engine that kind of works in a weird way. Because let me read that again real quick. It says, return to your hand all creature cards in your graveyard that were put there from anywhere this turn. That means anywhere. So let's say that you tutored for a creature and you put it into your graveyard. Or if you milled yourself and put a creature in your graveyard. Or if your creatures died from the battlefield. Any of those reasons, you're getting those creatures back in your hand. So it's just card advantage, basically. So there are some ways to really abuse this. Uh, like creatures that enter the battlefield and give you mana like Priest of Urbrask. Uh, it's a 2-1 human cleric that costs 2 and a red. When it enters the battlefield, add red, red, red to your mana pool. So basically, it kind of pays for itself. And if you've got a sacrifice outlet and you're playing Garnet anyway that turn, you can get it back. You can play it again. It, it, it's, it's basically like a, a value. You're making the most out of creatures that are coming into play and really trying to abuse those ETBs and LTBs that you might have. So having sacrifice outlets on the board that can help you really take, uh, take control of this, like Viscera Seer. It's a 1-1 Vampire Wizard that costs a black. It says Sacrifice a Creature, Scry 1. So you're getting value from sacrificing creatures on top of, you know, getting those creatures to hit your graveyard so you can get them back with Garna again. And actually, a fun thing with Garna that you might not know is that basically you can respond to Garna's trigger when Garna comes into play and sacrifice Garna so that Garna's own trigger hits it. Let me explain this in a, in a different way that probably a little bit easier. Basically, you play Garna, trigger goes on the stack. You sacrifice Garna, and then Garna's in your graveyard, and then that trigger happens, so you get Garna back with Garna's own trigger. So it's kind of like a way to just keep getting that, you know, board white protection or, you know, card advantage engine back into your hand. Uh, and then, of course, you can finish off opponents with something like Sir Conrad the Grim, which is basically whenever creatures are put in your graveyard from anywhere, it just pings your opponents. So you can just keep doing this kind of like a, a churning effect where you keep getting creatures in and out and in and out and up and down, and basically you're just pinging everyone down. It's a really unique and fun way to build around a commander, and one that many people might write off early, but I recommend you take another look. Uh, next up, we've got Sachi, Daughter of Sashiro, a 1-3 Snake Shaman that costs 2 green-green. She has other snakes you control get plus 0, plus 1, but that's not the important part. The important part is shamans you control have tap, add green-green to your mana pool. Now, there are a lot of shamans uh, in Magic that just tap to add a green. But this one basically says all your shamans that do that now add an extra and also any of your shamans that might do other things now tap for a mana so, or two mana. So basically just making every single one of your creatures into mana dorks that tap for two, that's going to give you a ton of mana. So you can use things like a uh, Bosk Banneret, a 1-3 Treefolk Shaman that basically says Treefolk spells, which doesn't really matter, 
And shaman spells you play cost one less to play, so you're reducing the cost of your shaman, you're allowing yourself to cast more shaman, and then those shaman are going to be able to tap for mana. I said shaman quite a few times right there, but that's okay. Anyways, you can also use spells like Vitalize, which is going to untap all creatures you control. So basically you're tapping all your shaman for mana, you're casting a ton of more shaman, you're tapping, or you're playing a Vitalize to untap all those shaman, and then you can tap them again. You can get an absurd amount of mana in one turn, and of course you can have some overrun type effects. Uh, which is going to give all your creatures plus three plus three and tramples on of turn and then basically just overwhelm your opponents with your giant board of shaman that are just coming through and swinging and generating a lot of mana it, it's just it's one that you know i i think that people just kind of think okay well mana you know uh, there's there's other commanders that do generate mana but this one is pretty ridiculous for the amount of mana that it can give you very quickly so please take another look at at sachi a lot of fun uh, next up, we've got actually a Mono White Commander, and there are a couple Mono White Commanders. There's plenty of, I, I've ragged on Mono White plenty in this channel, but basically there are some Mono White Commanders that I do believe are underplayed and underrated. Uh, the first one's going to be Rune Tail Kitsune Ascendant, a 2-2 Fox Monk that costs 2 and a white. It says, whenever you have 30 or more life, flip Rune Tail Kitsune Ascendant. Let me flip it real quick. It says, it comes Rune Tail's Essence and says, prevent all damage that we dealt to creatures you control. So basically, you're in commander, right? I mean, if this was standard, you'd have 20 life, so you'd have to actually work to get up to that, you know, 30 life in order to actually flip it. But basically, Rune Tail's like, hey, uh, you just cast me, and then yeah, I'll flip pretty much automatically. And obviously, it's going to be a lot harder for your opponents to deal with your commander when it's an enchantment than when it's just a creature, so that's a benefit. But yeah, not being able to, again, having all damage be uh, prevented basically to all your creatures is huge. So you can really take advantage of this with cards like Protector of the Crown. A 2-5 giant soldier that cost 5 and a white. When Protector of the Crown enters the battlefield, you become the monarch, and all damage that we dealt to you is dealt to Protector of the Crown instead. So basically, you're like, okay, uh, Rune Tail's out, Rune Tail flips, and let's just play this. I'm the monarch, and now if you're going to try to hit me, all that damage goes to Protector of the Crown instead, and Protector of the Crown can't be dealt damage. So yeah, you basically kind of have like an immortal life total at that point, kind of. I mean, if you, you need to find ways to protect that creature, but in Mono White, there are plenty of ways to give it indestructibility, protection from certain colors. You can kind of just make this kind of like a, not a, I mean, a Pelifort-ish kind of, kind of deck where you're just like, all right, I'm going to build up my, my, uh, my defenses, and then good luck getting through. And there are other, I mean, cards that don't even need to, uh, you know, have damage dealt to them, but basically you've got Guardian of the Gateless, a 3-3 Angel that costs four and a white, it can block any number of creatures, and it's got flying. So basically, it's going to be really hard for your opponents to get through with any creatures, essentially, once this is in play. And again, the damage that's dealt to it is prevented, so it's just kind of like the ultimate blocker. And there are other cards that are similar. You can obviously finish your opponents off with something like a Feldar Sovereign, which just says at the beginning of your upkeep, if you've got 40 more life, you win the game. It's going to be really hard for your opponents to knock down your life total when they can't hit you, really. So there's a lot of fun things that you can do. This Again, Mono White does have its weaknesses, yes. But this is a commander that really helps you kind of utilize Mono White's strengths in the best way possible. So next up actually is another Mono White commander. And this one has started to see more play, but I still think people are underrating it. And that's Teshar, Ancestor's Apostle. It's a 2-2 bird cleric with flying that costs 3 and a white. It says whenever you cast a historic spell, return target creature card with converted mana costs 3 or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. And historic spells are artifacts, legendaries, and sagas. So basically, this is card advantage in Mono White. Trish Teshar is like, okay, so if you cast a Soric spell, which is not hard, artifacts can be really cheap, you get back a creature from your graveyard. And there are plenty of cool effects that you can use and abuse with this. So even something as simple as an Ornithopter 
you're just casting it. It's a zero to a flying for zero. So that's a free spell you can cast. And then for zero, you're basically reanimating a creature from your graveyard. So that can be something like a trusty pack beast. And when trusty back pack beast comes into the battlefield, you return target artifact from your graveyard to your hand. So you can kind of see where this is going. Basically, you're just making this value engine where you're like, okay, here's an artifact. Here's a creature. Gets me back an artifact. Gets me back a creature. You can just keep going over and over again and just kind of have this engine already set up in mono white, which is pretty incredible. Obviously, you need something like an Ashnod's Altar to really take advantage of this, though. It's an artifact that costs three. It says sacrifice creature, add colors, colors to your mana pool. So basically, you're like, okay, I cast my artifact. I get back a creature. I sacrifice my artifact. I sacrifice my creature, and so on and so forth. You just keep doing this over and over again, generating an absurd amount of value. It's just, it's a lot of fun and can be very powerful and very surprising in mono white. But now let's move on to our last one, and that one's actually going to be one that I've done a deck tech on. So if you're looking for a full deck list on it, go ahead and check that one out. And this one's going to be Kaiga the Tide Star. Kaiga is a 5-5 dragon spirit with flying that costs 5 and a blue, and when it dies, gain control of target creature. Now we've talked about this on the channel before, but basically, death triggers on commanders are kind of wonky because basically when your commander dies and you want them to go back to the command zone, yeah, that's a replacement effect, so you don't get that death trigger. Now, with this, though, with Kaiga, you have plenty of ways to get around that because Kaiga's not going to die. Your clones are. So, basically, you cast something like a Mirror Image. Mirror Image is a 0-0 shapeshifter that costs 2 and a blue. It can enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature you control. It's basically just a cheaper clone because you're not trying to clone your opponent's creatures. You're trying to clone your own. Basically, you just make it come into play as a copy of Kaiga for free mana. That's really good. Uh, the legendary rule applies. It's see, they see each other. Mirror image, you sacrifice that one, and basically you get that death trigger from your clone. So then you say, okay, for three mana, I just permanently gain control of one of my opponent's creatures. Probably the best one on the board. A lot of fun. How about something like Quasi-Duplicate? It's a sorcery that costs one blue-blue. It says gain or create, a <laughs> create a token that's a copy of target creature you control, and it's got jump start. So this is basically a clone spell that you can get twice. So for three mana, then three mana again and discarding a card, you can gain control of two creatures. So you can kind of see where this is going. It's just kind of like a permanent theft deck where you get Kaiga out and then you start just making clone after clone after clone after clone, taking control of all your opponent's creatures and then just smacking them with their own creatures. Something like Mirror Mockery can really shine in this deck. It's an aura that says enchant creature. It says whenever enchanted creature attacks, you may put a token onto the battlefield that's a copy of that creature, exile a token at the, at the end of combat. Basically, Kaiga, yes, does have flying, it's a dragon. You're putting this on Kaiga. It's gonna be hard for your opponents to block Kaiga. You can at least get it through at least one opponent for the most part. So you're not too worried about it dying in combat. You create a token with mere mockery. So basically, every single time you attack with Kaiga, you also get to steal a creature. And that's just a very powerful thing. Again, I think that this one is really underrated. Maybe there's certain players or certain groups that don't want to play with or against a theft, de theft deck. So maybe that's why this one doesn't see enough play. But in my opinion, it's a, it's a pretty spicy commander. So... Yeah, that's the list I've got for today. So let me know in the comments below what you think about these underrated and undervalued commanders, or at least underrated and undervalued in my opinion, and what underrated and undervalued commanders are on your list. What ones do you think I should have been covering? So let me know in the comments below. And with that, I think that's all we've got for today. So thanks again and have a good one. And make sure you're following us on social media for more updates and sneak peeks on future episodes. Again, a huge thank you to my patrons who helped make this show possible. I truly couldn't do any of this without your support. If you want to support this channel directly, consider becoming a patron. There are many benefits to being a patron, including being able to vote on future commanders for deck tax. There are even tiers where you get your own personalized deck tech dedicated to you. You can check out all the Patreon tiers and rewards at patreon.com slash commandersquarters. If you haven't already, make sure that you like and subscribe to the channel. Here at the Commander's Quarters, we're all about budget commander. So while you're at it, go ahead and check out some of our other types of episodes. And with that, I'm out of here. Thanks again and have a good one.